It is very early where you are, so I, I appreciate you taking the time. I gotta say, like, I'm an early bird, but I don't think I can be like that put together at six in the morning. It's six in the morning, right? It's six in the morning. The sun's actually coming in. I, I forgot to put the blind down. The sun is just rising. It's amazing. It's an amazing time. I think the morning is like one of the best times to channel and meditate and, and make the best of the day. I agree with you. My favorite thing is waking up for sunrise. And I married someone who is a night owl and loves sunsets. And absolutely, he kind of changed a little bit in the last couple of years. But for the first little while, he's like, please don't, just don't do this to me. Can we please just sleep in a little bit more? And I love waking up super early before the sun rises and then just watch the sunrise. So that's awesome. Um, so you basically are a specialist in one of my favorite areas that I can talk for hours about, which is intuition and learning how to distinguish intuition with, and that's kind of like the main, the main curiosity that I have, you know, to ask you distinguishing between intuition and then the loud messages that come from fear and the noise, because that sometimes feels like it's maybe our intuition, but it isn't. Yeah. How did you, how did you get to this area? How, how did you find yourself in that? Yeah, you know, I think, Christina, everyone has access to intuition. Everyone is intuitive. Um, I have gifts that I, you know, got born with. My mother's uh, side of the family are all psychic, that they've got psychic medium abilities. And I feel like uh, we all have that gut feeling. We all have that feeling in our heart, the knowing that sort of drops from our head into our belly that tells us this is the right decision, this isn't. We just shut down. Because, um, you know, what we do as humans is we're desperate to belong. We're desperate to attach to other people. And so what we do is we abandon ourselves. And when we abandon ourselves, we abandon our intuition. And you know what this looks like, Christina? It looks like taking the job that maybe doesn't feel aligned or starting the degree or career where we think our heart is meant to be doing something else. And so for me, like most people that have a bit of an awakening, I discovered my intuitive abilities after a dark night, after a bit of a crisis. And so when I went through this crisis, I started to do intuitive workshops. And that's when I started to break down how we use intuition, which is understanding clairvoyance, the ability to see clearly through our third eye, clairaudient to hear, clairsentient to feel and claircognizant to know. So, you know, my initiation, I felt like I was highly intuitive as a child, very sensitive, highly empathic. And as I became an adult, I needed teachers around me to show me how to access my own intuition. That's why I teach this now, because I feel like so many people don't know how to access, you know, not only their own intuition, to understand there are spirit guides around them, to understand there are ancestors trying to communicate with them. Do you, when you said you had kind of like a, like a rude awakening, I know that you combine your work with, which is very interesting to me, you, you do a lot of spiritual work, but you also coach executives. So you were working very much in like the corporate world. And did you find that maybe sometimes you're, you're, you were kind of like stifling your, your intuition because you had to kind of show up as, you know, someone who was just, you know, kind of like grinding it out and working in the corporate world. Yeah, 100%. Working long and exhausting hours, spending excessive amounts of time in front of a computer or social media is the best way to stifle 
and block our intuition. So the reason why I'm passionate about coaching executives and senior leaders, in particular women, is because I'm an ex-CFO. So I left the corporate world as a finance director. And, you know, I got a scholarship to university. I did an MBA. I never realized that I was, you know, not really honoring myself. And in my heart, I love reading metaphysics, spiritual books. I loved astrology. I love crystals. So in my spare time, I wasn't, you know, I was spending all my time doing this passion of mine. And yet here I was having a job that just didn't feel like it was my, my purpose in the world, my calling. And so uh, I'm passionate about coaching executives and corporate leaders because I think so many people in corporates are shut down and so many women are having spiritual awakenings in the corporate world. So many women and men are understanding their, that consciousness exists. They're getting you know, exposed to things like ayahuasca, meditation, you know, um, understanding how to access their intuition and realizing when you do, you make so many less mistakes. You're far more efficient. And so I think the modern, you know, the modern, I guess, uh, way in the next decade is going to be so many more of these esoteric spiritual tools uh, with a lot more people using them. I think it's kind of a misconception that if you're working for a very or in a very corporate environment, you need to kind of shut all of that down and, and you like you need to separate the two worlds, which kind of shouldn't really be the case. You know, and that's why it's so cool that you're you've managed to kind of continue to coach people who are kind of feeling in the way that, well, maybe maybe I'm stifling my intuition or maybe I'm not necessarily making decisions out of a place of what I need and what I how I need to serve the world. I'm just doing it out of a place of, um, you know, I don't know, my job and I picked this career because of money or I picked it because of the status. Right. So it's cool that you've managed to continue to coach people who are still on that path, but also wanting to, you know, go into the area of more, maybe more spirituality. So the most curious question for me is how in, in your view, do you distinguish between an intuitive lead and you know, for sure that that is what you need to be doing, like that kind of feeling in your gut that you have versus fear and the yeah. wrong decision. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. When I teach my awakening course, what I find, uh, Christina, is a lot of people have trauma in their body, so they don't really know how to know how to feel safe in their body. So before we even access the feeling in our body, what I get them to do is to connect with their spirit guides and to start looking at from, and I get them to get signs from the universe. So I ask them to start, like, you know, absolutely asking for signs from the universe through their day. To help them answer a question after we do meditation enough and we get into the practice of sitting in the morning connecting with ourselves connecting with our guides we start being able to connect with our body and trust what's in our body there is this feeling that lands in our belly when we get an intuitive hit that we can't reverse we can't unsee or unknow that it's the gut feeling and so what we need to do is practice getting the gut feeling, writing it down, and, and observing and obeying the gut feeling. So if you get a gut feeling that morning to do something, you have to move into action during the day. If not, we'll never practice trusting our intuition. So when it's fear, uh, I find there's a, a really effective journal practice that can tell the difference between gut instincts and fear. When it's a gut instinct, you write what the gut instinct down is on a journal, and then you write the opposite statement. 
and if it's the and, and what you'll find is the opposite statement won't feel true the opposite statement won't feel true so you might have a gut feeling in the morning I need to stay in this job and really try and get promoted in my company the opposite might be I need to leave and find another job when you write the complete opposite you will feel that just doesn't feel right and then you'll remind yourself in your body I had that feeling I have to trust it does that make sense yeah yeah it does so you almost have to get your body to feel the opposite of of what you what came up in your body yep. in your body yep. and then you'll feel whether or not it rubs you the wrong or the right way the decision absolutely early on early on this is how I teach students in my spiritual awakening program I teach them how to channel, how to connect with guides, how to connect with ancestors. And what I find is when I get them to feel the opposite, they can absolutely feel that it's not intuition. They say, that just feels wrong is what I commonly get told. That just doesn't feel right, Sheila. And I said, yes. So you can now discern the difference in your body between intuition and the opposite feeling. So fear-based kind of thoughts tend to have a very negative flavor. They tend to have a feeling of running from pain or we're running from change. So fear-based thoughts tend to keep you stuck. That's kind of how you know they're fear-based. I also find that most of the time an intuitive lead doesn't actually make any sense. It almost goes against everything that I think I should be doing. It goes against reason. I don't Absolutely. know if you've heard, yeah, I don't know if you've heard about a book called the game of life and how to play it by Florence Scoville Shin. I think I've talked about it on my podcast so many times. It really changed my outlook on life and also Christianity because I was raised, you know, Russian Orthodox, but I never really understood what my religion was about. Like, like many times, you know, people are raised with certain cultural beliefs and religion, religious backgrounds, but you don't really dive into what it's all about. So it approaches spirituality from Christian point of view, but from the point of teachings of Jesus Christ. And then it talks basically about this still small voice that's all throughout the Bible. Even the Christian Bible talks about that, that there's always a still small, small voice inside of you that you need to learn how to recognize and to follow. So it's, it's something that is, you know, so deep within us, I feel like, and the interesting thing about it is, yeah, like it talks, it talks a lot in that book about how it usually goes against your reason. So your reasoning mind will try to talk you out of following your intuitive lead, which yeah, most of the time you... also means that that's the intuitive lead, whichever, whichever your reasoning mind is trying to go against is the path that you need to follow. Yeah, I, I love how you describe that. I, I think a lot of times we, our intuitive lead is taking us into change and transition. And quite often we're very uncomfortable with change and transition. So quite often the intuitive lead is saying it's time to, you know, leave the job or move city or, you know, lean into a new relationship. And part of us wants to keep ourselves very safe because when we're safe, life is predictable. That's our reptilian brain keeping us safe, right? It's, it's the, it's our executive thinking center doesn't, doesn't want to fire off what we, you know, we're very comfortable when we're safe, but you know, um, you know, in the faith such as yours, it's, it's like, it's trusting and surrendering that there is like a higher purpose looking out for us. And so when you get the intuitive uh, hit, knowing that even though the change that we're being asked to make may not make sense, there is something guiding us and we can trust that. Do you believe that 
intuition is something that can be developed? 100%. Um, purely because when we have limiting beliefs and values that don't serve us when we're younger, potentially given to us by society or our culture or um, you know social groups, our intuition gets um, locked down, it gets shut down. And when anything that's um, you know a gift to us gets shut down, it stops developing. We stop harnessing it. So firstly, we need to activate the intuition and then we need to keep on practicing it repeatedly um, in order to start trusting it. It definitely can be developed because how we receive intuition is firstly through feeling. Firstly, it comes through the sense of feeling. And then after we feel, then the other aspects of intuition start to develop. And Christina, it might come through dream state. So if you can, if you dream in color or you have visions in your dream, that's clairvoyance. That's the ability just to see clearly in a dream. And if you, uh, if we start to, if you're very intelligent or intellectual, you'll have clear knowing. You'll have these knowings that happen through the day because the brain and the heart are just connecting very quickly. So you get a knowing the doorbell is going to ring. You get a knowing that this friend needs you to call them and they're going through something challenging. So we need to firstly connect in with our body and feeling. And then after we do that enough, all the intuitive um, senses get activated. Yeah, that's very true. And meditation, does that also, sky, I guess, skyrocket <laughs> your progress into being more intuitive? Absolutely. You know, meditation slows down the brainwave states so slow that, you know, the universe, um, our, our, our feeling centers all get activated. There's so much that is in our mind that doesn't serve us. There's so many thoughts and worries and fears and wondering how the day is going to turn out. Yet again, you know, with strong faith, we can trust that it's all going to be okay. So a strong meditation practice actually stills the mind. And when the mind is still, that little voice that you speak of, Christina, becomes not little, it becomes really loud. It basically replaces the loud, annoying voice that tells you the opposite. The absolutely. reasoning mind. <laughs> the voice like you need to stop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've just got a comment, the sun's coming in. I wish I'd put my blind down, but you can see the sun is rising. So Oh, yay. Amazing. What a nice you know, time to have this conversation during it sunrise. Is a lovely time. It's always so interesting to me because it's 12 something here. Yeah. 1220. And, uh, it's 6am in Australia. It, it always seems so interesting to me how you're like totally in the future, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we are, I can, I can tell you the future is looking bright. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I was in, when I had my interview with Tom Cronin, actually, I was in Eastern Europe and during the whole recording, we had a bit of a delay. So my, when I was talking, it was coming to him at a delay and his side was almost like it was speeded up. So we were laughing. He's like, yeah, I'm totally in the future. Cause see, like I'm, when I'm speaking, my messages are coming to you much faster than yours. So yeah, uh, let's talk about your book. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, our listeners who are, who will be listening to this, what can they find in your book? Can they find you know, uh, teachings on how to activate their intuition, uh, how to practice and what to practice in order to cultivate that. Let, let's, let's talk about it. It's called brave. It's a great name to begin with. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I personally believe Christina that this is one of the most important virtues we need in our life is to be brave. 
because without bravery, we can't make big changes in our life. And without bravery, we can't listen to our intuition. So I talk in brave about being courageous. I call it the courageous path. You might call it a path, a path of having faith. And so with the courageous path, I teach uh, women and men, mostly women, how to be courageous in their life to make big changes, how to ask, you know, how to overcome perfectionism, how to stop being burnt out by, you know, uh, working long and exhausting hours in their job, and fundamentally how to honor themselves to the point that they become authentic. You know, we all have dreams and hopes, and sometimes when we get married and have kids, we get really lost. You know, um, when we don't follow our intuition, we get exceptionally lost. And we sort of wonder, how did we get here one day? And so I say to a lot of the clients I work with, it's never too late to make the big, bold changes in your life. I talk about how to heal the mother wounding that is in society, how to connect with our feminine nature, um, how to receive signs from the universe. How, what is purpose? I talk in my book about how to find your calling and purpose in life. I think as someone who does intuitive guidance readings, it's the most, uh, it's probably the most common question I get asked is, you know, how, what is my purpose and how do I find it is the, is the most common question I get asked. And I think Christina, I, I don't know about you, but I think we all know we're here for a purpose. We're just trying to figure out what that purpose is. Would you say? Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And I think the older you get and the further away you are from that purpose, the more you get really annoyed with yourself right? Like you, not to say that, you know, if someone is listening to this and they're in a job that they don't like, you know, everything's okay. It's, you don't have to, you know, drop everything. And, but I, I think for me, it was definitely also, you know, a situation where I was working in the corporate world too. And I was spending very little time with my family because they all live in Eastern Europe. And there was always this question of like, I really don't think this is my purpose. I actually like my job. It's pretty good. Yes, I'm working a lot, but it's not bad, you know, but you always have this like feeling deep down that mm, something is just not quite aligned, right? So yeah, I wanted to touch on something that you've mentioned, uh, you, you talk about in your book, and it's something that I get asked so much in my social media whenever I host any Q&As, femininity. Because I think a lot of women nowadays, myself included, I was, I was one of them find themselves in the corporate world and they think that the only way they can succeed is if they are adopting all the masculine traits and basically become, become very masculine. No other way to say it. How can women in those positions maintain femininity and keep that femininity? I think firstly, it's all about belief set and believing that being in your feminine nature is actually very powerful. And that trusting that that sometimes aggression isn't what's needed in the corporate context. Um, collaboration, kind, compassionate conversations. And I think we need more training. So if women are managers and leaders, I'm always encouraging them to get to, to bring in trainers and facilitators that can change the culture of organization to be one of more empathy, kind and compassionate. But as individual women, if we're surrounded by a lot of men that are acting that way, it can feel very difficult to you know, change what feels like a culture that's set. I've been in cultures that have been aggressive. I worked in the chartered accounting firms, and I know that while change is hard, change has to come from within us. 
So if we respond with aggression to aggression, um, we're already in our toxic yang energy. We're already, um, and, and if we become too submissive, we're in our toxic yin energy. So we're already like, you know, subjugating ourselves um, unnecessarily. I think very strong practices outside of the corporate workplace that train us to come back home to our center, um, the meditation, the journaling, embodiment practices, five rhythm dance, yoga. If you do that, you walk in, reset at the beginning of your day so you don't get taken out. But if, we, if we're working long and exhausting hours and we're burning ourselves out and we don't have those feminine practices outside of the workplace, we lose our connection to our feminine nature. And then when we walk in, what happens is we get hijacked. So any uh, dominant culture or dominant feeling around us is what we absorb. So we are beings enough to change, especially the collective you know, change that's happening with the women's empowerment movement right now. I think women of this generation can trust a lot of changes happening. It's just with, with ourselves, we've got to trust we can individually be that change. And I consistently find having your own feminine practices outside of the workplace give you a chance every day to stay in your feminine and not um, not sell out. Does that make sense to you, Christina? Yeah, absolutely. And this isn't to say, you know, that there's anything wrong with masculine energy, but I think it could be a really beautiful thing if we can combine, especially in the roles that traditionally have been a lot more masculine. If we combine feminine and masculine energies, it would be, in my opinion, it would be really, really cool. You know, probably achieve more success if we bring 100%. to the table all the feminine traits and then they bring all the masculine traits, right? We need masculine yeah. traits. Yeah, masculine traits yeah. involve a lot of action. They involve yeah. not always checking into emotion. And if you don't feel emotionally like you want to do something, men just get on and do it. It's very useful. However, I know, I kind of envy that sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I buy into my emotions so much. I think, oh, this is really exhausting being me. But you know, we you know we're here being I'm being a, I'm, I mean a fem I'm having a female experience right now, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, for sure, I like that. And you know, in terms of receiving messages from from God from higher power, I heard um, actually it was in the same book, uh, The Game of Life and How to Play It. I read um, intuition. No prayer is you telephoning to God and intuition is God telephoning to you. Yes, exactly. I've had, you know, dreams that were very clear to me that it was a message. And then I've had dreams that I was like, you know what? I really hope that that wasn't a message. I feel like maybe it was, but I hope it wasn't. In your view, do you think that, let's say we receive some kind of alarming negative message about a loved one or about ourselves can we reverse it i think that there's that there's sometimes when you get a sign it is about preparing you for something that's going to happen in your life that you don't want to happen we don't want this thing to happen and what we're doing is where the sign is to prepare you emotionally to get courageous get resilient prepare yourself for something ominous to happen but trusting that God, a higher power, is got you, has got your back and it's going to be okay. That's sometimes the sign. Sometimes the sign is, hey, you know, uh, you know, you're driving fast. Slow down. There's going to be an accident. Or what you're eating isn't healthy. Like this is gonna, this is not serving you, right? So there are some signs you get where you can you can change the course. 
But I think in some ways, I think after you have a dream, journaling after you have the dream, journaling through, um, I guess, more intuitive wisdom and guidance will help uh, shed some light on whether or not it's a sign that's preparing you for an, you know, something ominous or it's a sign where you can change the outcome. I do believe the law of free will. We're here to learn and grow and evolve. So everything isn't set in stone. We are meant to change the outcomes of some things. So sometimes signs are helping you to go, hey, make some big changes in your life. It's time. Yeah, if you don't want that to happen, this, what you just saw, then yeah. maybe you should make some changes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Let's talk about journaling. I heard a while back that like a lot of successful people, I don't know the percentage, but a lot of very successful people that we know of journal. Is there a right way to journal, a wrong way to journal? How important is journaling? Oh, I feel journaling is essential because it's firstly one first very initial way where we access our intuition and we start to get guidance from, you know, God, higher power. Journaling also takes out all our monkey mind, all our worries. We can write them down in a journal and then look at them with really good journal questions. You can actually stop worrying about things like with a really good journal practice. Um, you know, we can write all our, our fears down and you can look at them. And then on the other side of the page, you write, why is this fear not real? And you write all the evidence why it's not real. So there, there are many different, there are many different ways we can journal. I think journaling morning and night is also a different process. Journaling in the morning has got very much a stronger manifesting energy and co-creation energy. Journaling at night is more of a reflection process where we think, hmm, what could I do differently? I could have probably been a bit more gentler in that conversation. Or I wish I'd been more honest when I shared my feelings with that person. Or, you know, I wish I'd been more courageous in that conversation and really told my boss, you know, the changes I want in the company. So there's, there's many different ways to journal and times of the day to journal. So I've been journaling in the morning. I need to start journaling at night as well. I like that. Potentially, <laughs> potentially, Christina, as a reflection, as a way to reflect. I like that actually, because your mind is quite a bit busier, I feel like at the end of the day. And in the morning, it's almost like a clean slate very often, right? Especially if you haven't gotten a chance to talk to anyone yet, if you had just meditated, you know, it's like a clean slate that you write all of your thoughts down and exactly you manifest. Whereas at night you reflect on, on stuff a lot more. And what if, you know, someone's listening to this and they say, okay, this, this all sounds great, but I just can't get out of this feeling of, you know, fear and tiredness and burnout where do I even start? Like, I, I'd like to start meditating. I'd like to start to get my, you know, thoughts in order and everything, but I, I just can't seem to, I, I just can't seem to. And whenever I try to shut my mind down a little bit for a meditation, it doesn't work. I have a lot of noise. Where do I go from here? So what I can get people to do, if they're finding it really difficult to start meditating, I get them to do some movement meditation, walking on a beach, walking through a park, walking around the block if you, if you live in a city. So I get them to do some sort of movement. And when you do movement, it does slow down the body because it takes you into your mind, into your breath. Once you graduate from that and you can sit on a cushion or on a chair with stillness, I just get back to a basic breath meditation. I don't make it long. I make it one minute. And I have, I, I like a guided meditation for my new students because even though you go off and you go off with the, worry of the day or you go off with the sounds of the truck that's passed by your house the voice in the meditation will always bring you back the chimes will or whatever the music is 
So I say start with one minute, three minutes, five minutes and build up to, to a longer meditation practice. Yeah, I find also nature sounds, whatever your preferred, so to speak, nature sound is. Like for me, the second I hear the ocean, the waves, I'm immediately in the state of meditation. It has always been that way ever since I was a child. So I feel like maybe also just finding your sound, right? To meditate to, like you were saying, a guided meditation. That's what I always do if I can't, you know, calm my mind down. I just put on beach waves and just listen to them until at least exactly like what you said, 30 seconds. For 30 seconds, I can't think about anything. Great. I've achieved, you know, my goal for the day. I love it. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And what about, kind of ties, ties into journaling, but affirmations and self talk. Let's dive into that a little bit. Um, I think at this point, probably most people, for sure, who's, who's going to be listening to this podcast, especially who follow me, who follow you, they probably know about the power of affirmations. But if someone is kind of just starting on this journey of getting into self, positive self-talk, um, manifesting through your word, what's the right way to do it, so to speak? With manifesting, it's always around believing and feeling it to be true. So manifesting is, you know, with affirmations, we're affirming a belief. So it's about firstly creating beliefs in all parts of our life. We can't believe we're going to be successful in love, but not have a great career. So when I get people to write affirmations, I get them to make sure they do it across all parts of their life. I get them to feel into a visualization into that affirmation. So there's a bit of a vision board or a visualization. I get them to feel when they positively receive that gift in their body how does it feel when they become successful or they meet their soulmate or whatever it might be and then the repetition every day with the sound of music the sound of music saying or writing the affirmation joins both hemispheres of the brain and it means we're engaging the whole mind and the whole heart so writing a song or a rhyme would be really powerful if you have like an affirmation and you can rhyme something else to it so that you can repeat it to yourself. It'll sink in deeper into your well, mind. How often do we, we, we will remember a song and sing it over and over, yet if we love a paragraph or a couple of sentences in a book, we won't be able to remember it. Yeah. So I tell my, my clients, yes, sing. Like, like sing affirmations or sing. When you're looking at your vision board, do it to a piece of music and sing along to the song when you're looking at your vision board. Because you'll remember it more. Yeah. And if you get, I always say that to people, if you get a negative song stuck in your head, do whatever it is to get it out (laughs) and replace it with a positive one. Like don't sing sad songs. (laughs) I don't sing sad songs. No. Or like watching sad movies. I stopped doing that a long time ago. Because why? You know, it's an escape for me. Why would I watch, you know, a horror movie if if I want to have like a positive mind? (laughs) It just doesn't align. For entertainment, I guess some people would say, but still it's, you know, it, it affects you quite a bit more than, than people think it does, I feel like. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've covered most of like the surface of, of this subject. Um, what about, in your opinion, you know, I've heard this, this thought once that some people think that, you know, if you master your mindset and your more or less always in, in, in a good mood and you're always positive. When you embark on that journey, you're not supposed to ever get angry. 
like people who, you know, mastered their intuition, their intuitive game, their spiritual game, they're never supposed to get angry. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like I feel like anger and any emotion we have is feedback about something incongruent in our life. So we must always honor all emotions and all emotional states. When anger comes up, I think we need to speak to the anger and ask why are we anger angry. Well, I feel a boundary is being crossed. I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. I feel unlovable, unworthy. And then we need to probably do some inner child work. We need to look at the wounded part of ourselves that hasn't been healed. I think it's a very good feedback mechanism for something unhealed within ourselves. So it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as we can, you know, figure out what's causing it and then deal with it. I think when we make it a bad thing, we're actually blocking our healing. It's a real block when we say anger is bad. I think when, when anger is unregulated over a long period of time, people around us can experience it as bad. But again, that in itself is feedback for us to make changes in our life. At some point, we have to grow up. We have to become adults. And the little boy or girl within us needs to be addressed because that's the part of us that's actually angry, not the adult. Yeah. That's a big one, hey? Figuring out that's that it's, it's not the... It's like a childhood reaction. And it is because most of the time the stuff that you're angry about, it's like, well, I don't have this or I don't have that. And this is upsetting me or I'm feeling unloved or yeah, it's totally like the, the child in you. And I like the idea of just dealing with it right away instead of stifling it. I'm guilty of it. I, I Whenever I get angry, I just think to myself, no, this is wrong. This is the wrong emotion. I'm not supposed to have it. And then I just let it pile up and pile up and pile up and then inevitably <laughs> disaster strikes right <laughs> and you have to let it all out all at once which is so much worse than telling yourself okay I'm angry in this moment about something I'm gonna let it out and you know I, I, not in a way that it's going to hurt someone around me or myself but I'm just going to acknowledge this emotion deal with it and then move on you know heal myself from this this thing that made me angry so, yeah, it's an emotion, right? And we need to feel it's it. absolutely an emotion. And, and I think, you know, why we make anger wrong as adults is because we don't like angry, like when children are angry. And what happens is when we were younger, we potentially had parents or some school teacher around us not honor our anger, not honor that we were upset. And so we bottle it down as children, then it comes up unprocessed when we're adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big one. And sometimes yeah. it's it comes out in the worst possible ways, right? The more it was kind of disregarded, I guess, when you were when you were little. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Sheila, we are at our time here. This is a lovely conversation. Uh, how can our listeners find you, work with you, contact you? They can reach out and find me at SheilaV.co on my website or my Instagram handle, Sheila underscore V underscore underscore. Um, and there's a whole lot of resources on there. DM me on Instagram or uh, Facebook. I reply to all my messages. Or you can get a copy of my book and connect to sort of the, my truths and wisdom that way. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Christine. It's been great being on. Thank you for listening to Catamania. If you like this podcast, feel free to follow Catamania on YouTube as well as follow me, your host on Instagram and TikTok with the handle being Christina Cataman, C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-C-A-T-A-M-A-N. Stay blessed, my friends.